Every summer, 120 international military families arrive here in the River Region. This year, Centerpoint's teaming up with the Military Sponsorship Program, which helps acclimate these families into our community. We're looking for families here at Centerpoint who are willing to build relationships with these international families. During the first few weeks, it'll involve things like picking them up at the airport, registering their kids in school, and generally helping them adjust to our culture. The rest of the year, you'll simply continue building these relationships by having meals together, inviting them to sporting events, and just getting to know them. This is an opportunity for us to share God's love, and while doing so, make lifelong friends. If you're interested in learning more about this opportunity, please email me at mark at centerylives.com. Good morning, everyone. I'm John Schmidt. I'm the senior pastor here at Centerpoint Fellowship. I want to welcome you to our second installment in our series entitled Happily Ever After. Uh, last week, Tommy and Shelley talked to us about conflict resolution and communication. Today, uh, inside your bulletin, you will find an outline with the message entitled Budgets and Financial Goals. Uh, we talked about uh, conflict resolution last week. Guess what the number one thing that couples fight about is? Anybody got a guess? Money, yeah, and setting financial goals and talking about our budget, this is terribly important. Let me give you a couple of statistics and bring this home. According to a recent Harris Interactive poll of 1,000 adults, finances are the most common source of fighting among American couples, averaging, provoking three arguments per month on average. By the way, um, half of the survey participants said they argued mostly about unexpected expenses, 32% said the arguments were about insufficient savings. According to the National Marriage Project, couples who fight about finances once a week are more than 30% more likely to divorce. If you fight once a week. I know some people that fight once a day about that. Uh, I mean, I'm serious. And it just gets crazy. 55% of couples say they don't regularly set aside time to talk about financial issues. And 3 in 10 adults admitted to lying about finances in the last month. Wow. So if these statistics are true, 30% of us are liars here today. Half of us don't talk about money, and a bunch of us are fighting a lot. So why are we talking about this with marriage? Because obviously, think about the strain that puts on marriage. And there's nothing in this world you can do without money. You can't go to lunch without paying some money. You can't pay your house payment without money. You can't go on a date without money. I mean, everything takes money. And so we have to talk about money. And today we're going to look at what the Bible has to say. Uh, in your outline here, this is not a comprehensive money management thing. There are whole uh, courses like this. We offer Financial Peace University. We're going to be offering that again in the fall. Um, and we have some seminars I'll tell you about here in a minute. But the point is, today I'm just going to give you, uh, under six headings, six pieces of advice that, I share, that I've shared with couples ever since we started uh, since I got into ministry, they're based on biblical principles. And I'll give you the scripture references for those. Let me have a word of prayer for us and we'll jump right in. God, I thank you that we can uh, talk about this today. I thank you we can talk about this at Pike Road and at Cloverdale and Wetumpka and here in Prattville. Lord, we need to talk about money. And sometimes that's the one sacred cow that we never talk about because that's what we fight about. And Lord, we need, to, we need to get it out in the open. We don't need to yell and scream. We don't need to kick and cuss. But we do need to talk. 
And I pray, Lord, if anything else happens today, Lord, I pray that some great conversations will happen in our homes and in our connect groups about money. Lord, we want to give our lives to you. We want to live righteous lives, not angry lives, not depressed lives, not conflicted lives. So, Lord, I pray that today you'll speak and move me out of the way and you'll show us some things that will be really helpful when we have to talk about money. Save our marriages, Lord. That's why we're doing this. There are marriages that are just under so much pressure today. And this is a big cause of a lot of the source of frustration. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, if you need a pen to fill in the blanks, by the way, just raise your hand. One of the ushers will bring one to you. Um, point number one. Again, these are six different he- on six headings, six things I remind people of all the time when uh, people come and see me about money. And people come see me about money all the time. And I'm no great financial counselor. I refer people to financial counselors all the time. But I do help share with them some biblical principles that will help us start thinking rightly about things. Because if you're not careful with money, you can get into a cycle where we can get things way out of control. So six things. First one is this. You and I are only stewards of God's things. If you and I are going to start thinking rightly about money, we have to start, and possessions, then you and I have to start. Have to remind ourselves that these are God's things, and He only entrusts us with things for a while. A couple of references that are key to this: Psalm twenty-four, one: "The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world and all its people, belong to Him." Would you read that verse with me, please? "The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world and all its people, belong to Him." I mean, people hate it when we talk about money in church. I don't know why they're talking about money in church. What's that got to do with God? Well, because everything belongs to him. And that's the starting place. And that's the reason it's okay to look at what scripture says about this. This isn't just kind of like, well, I mean, all the religious stuff, heaven belongs to God and all that, but earth, that's ours. And it's like, no, the earth is his too. We're his. He made us. And he entrusts us with stuff for a little while. And then when we die, we leave it to someone else. And this is the Bible's position on this. That's why Paul wrote to Timothy these words. Listen to this. This is written to Timothy to teach Christians. Timothy was a site pastor that Paul had trained. He said, Timothy, this is what you need to teach. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Can any, has anybody found out that money's unreliable? Yeah, if you haven't, you haven't invested very long. Okay, anyway, that's the way it works. Their trust should be in God and richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they'll be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so they may experience true life. And Paul told Timothy, hey, tell people rich in this world, don't get hung up on money. It's a trap. You get into just all the things that this world can afford. Well, we're not, as Christians, we believe we're going to live forever in heaven, not here. And so why would I stack up resources that I can't take with me anyway? In fact, what does God want me doing with them? And this is the great challenge when it comes to marriages. If God gives us resources, what do we do with them? How should we use them? But it starts with saying, God, I want to surrender to you. I mean, this is the, it always starts with surrender and saying, God, this is your money. What do you want me to do with it? And so every time my wife and I have a budget decision, every time we talk about a financial goal, we always start out with that point. Lord, you're the one who's given us all we have. What do you want us to do? Would you show us as we discuss and then I remind her I'm right. No, I was uh, just trying to lighten the mood. Some of you are really serious right now. Okay, here we go. Uh, there is a note on this too. God will hold us accountable for how we manage his resources. This isn't just a good idea. There will be a test. 
There will be an accounting. And Jesus was very clear on this. This is Jesus speaking. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. And if you and I want God's blessing on our finances, then we need to say, well, God, what do you want me to do with our finances? If we want God's blessing on our, our resources, God, what do you want me to do with my resources? And it always starts there. And so I I want to put that in because every single other point that we bring here is going to be based on Scripture again. It's like, well, John, why should I care what the Bible says? Because everything in the earth, everything on earth, including you and me, belong to the Lord. And we're only stewards for a little while. And one day we're going to stand before him and we're going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? I don't know. That's not a good answer. We need to be praying about it and thinking about some things. So there are five more points here that I want to share with this morning. These are things that all apply to marriage and will help us a lot. If you and I are going to live godly lives and and work out our uh, finances according to God's will, then first of all, we need to set financial priorities and goals together. I mean, when a married couple becomes a married couple, the two become one flesh, it's real important that we set priorities and goals together. Amos 3.3 Can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? What's the answer? No. I mean, (laughs) it's like starting out in Montgomery and saying, we're going to share a ride. Well, really, where are you going? Well, I'm going to Birmingham. I'm going to Mobile. Well, you can get all the way to the interchange of 85 and 65, and then one of you's got to get out. We can't share a ride going two different directions at the same time. And you'd say, well, John, this is obvious. Really? Is it? I mean... This is where tons of fights happen. It I wasn't that long ago, a couple came to see me and they had had a humdinger of a fight because they'd been saving up money for years and had gotten some money saved away and she'd been saving for furniture and he'd been saving for a motorcycle. And then on the same day, I kid you not, there was a sale on the furniture and somebody gave him a, the, for the wife and there was a, a guy that gave a great deal to his uh, friend, gave a great deal to the guy about the motorcycle. And they both went and purchased the things without speaking to the spouse at the same time. Anybody believe that caused a fight? They were both agreed they were saving money. They just disagreed on what they were saving it for. Could that ever happen to more than one couple? All the time. What are we doing this for? Where are we going? And if we don't agree on a direction, there's a big fight coming. And that's why it's terribly important to sit down and talk about our goals. Inside your bulletin, you will find a, another sheet of paper. If you take that out, please. On one side of it, it has a little worksheet for financial goals. And here's how this thing works when we talk about goals when it comes to finances. Okay, on one side, there's the husband's goals, and the other side, there's the wife's goals. So male and female here, and we go through these things. Well, We've given you some categories there. The first one is this. It's like, okay, so what are some personal goals? And you guys will have to talk about these. What am I talking about? Well, the guy might want to run a marathon. Okay, well, how long will that take you to train? How much does the, what kind of shoes do you need? What kind of food do you need? What kind of, what are the entry fees? How much is this going to cost? Somebody might want to get a master's degree. Okay, well, how much does that cost? How long will it take? We could sit down and say, hey, we've got some couple goals. We're going to go on a date once a week. How much does that cost? We're looking at the sunsets free, John. Yeah, I know, but that's not going to work every week, okay? 
let's just go for a walk and look at the sunset. Now, if it's raining, that one's out. If you're going to go out to eat and other things like this, if you say, hey, we're going to do this one time a week, well, how much are you going to spend on those dates? How much is it going to average out to a month? Let's talk about some family goals. Hey, we want a family vacation. Anybody go on a family vacation where you made money recently? Anybody? Nope. And you know what happens if you don't plan for this? You're going to whip out the credit card, and now we'll come back. Had a great time, but now we have a miserable time trying to figure out how we're going to pay for it. How about some short-term goals? We could talk about this. Short-term goals. Hey, I'm going to, uh, we're going to, in the next six months, I want to go on a mission trip for the church. Great. How are you going to pay for that? Well, I'm going to raise some support, but I'm going to, this is what I'm going to contribute. What about in the next year? Hey, we need to replace a car. Mine's getting old. Replace it with what? And when are you going to talk about it? Because if we wait till the old one gives out, that's a little late to start planning. Does everybody see what I'm talking about here? Now, this is why couples fight. We haven't talked about any of these things. We've never taken time. And if today, if you have never done this before, if you would start with this, just if you are married or if you're engaged or if you're thinking about getting married, this is homework. This, is, this sheet is right out of our premarital counseling. For every couple I want to get married, they have to do this. And I want to see this sheet before I do a wedding ceremony for them. I want to know that they've talked about where they're going so they don't get in a big fight two weeks into the marriage. Where are you going? And it's important to note here, and this is the note, please write this in. If you and I fail to set our own goals and priorities, circumstances or other people will set them for us. What do you mean? Well, if I don't set my goals about where I'm going to live or where I'm going to go, let's say where I'm going to go on vacation, well, everybody else will because they'll come back from their vacation and show me all the pictures and I'll go, man, they went on this great vacation and they went to Hawaii. Where'd you go? Well, we went to Wetumpka. Okay. We had a great time. We went fishing. Went down the Coosa rafting or canoeing. It's great. But now it stinks because somebody else did something better. Next year we're going to do that. Or you go visit somebody at their house and you're content with your house until you visit their house and now you come to your house and your house stinks. All of a sudden now we're letting... And we meet people like this, and their priorities shift. At one week, they're saving for this, and the next month, they're going here, and then they're going here, and they're going here. And they're trying to keep up with the Joneses, and nobody even knows who the Joneses are. And if we wait for circumstances to set our priorities, well, that's going to be always then we're responding to things instead of planning. So here are three important questions that every married couple needs to answer. And I just want to lay these out. I was going to say regarding these priorities and goals. First of all, how much is enough? How much is enough? And in the margin there, or right next to it, write the word contentment. When are we going to be content? Because all of us understand this. If you are, uh, if you've, uh, I mean, if you're over the age of 50, you know this. Because what will happen is when you first start out as a married couple, you got nothing. And then over years, your salary can double, but you have kids, and the expenses just kept right up with whatever, whatever salary increases you got. And then they grow older, and then they got to go to college. And even though you're making more, you're spending more. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Well, eventually, we got to decide, how much is enough? How much house do we need? How many cars do we need? How many trips do we need? How often do we need to eat out? How much is enough? 
And again, if we don't determine this, our culture will keep selling you stuff as often as you want it. You always need more. I mean, that's just marketing. And you and I have to say, how much is enough? Here's what uh, Paul wrote about this again to Timothy. Timothy, godliness with contentment itself is great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world. We can't take anything with us when we leave. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Please circle the word content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation. They're trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. And I just want to go over that little formula that Paul had right there. And that's this. That godliness plus contentment is equal to great wealth. Mistakenly, some of us want to say that godliness plus great wealth equals contentment. And this isn't true. It's not. We can find tons of examples of people who are very wealthy and they're not content. Rock stars, athletes, business tycoons, in and out of rehab, running through marriages like water, constantly buying stuff, houses they never use, cars they never drive, empty, miserable lives, and you talk to them and they're just constantly miserable. Well, I thought if you had great wealth, you'd be good. Mm. Great wealth always comes more responsibility. And so Paul told Timothy, remind them, godliness plus contentment is itself great wealth. Because you're happy. By the way, if you haven't gone on a mission trip, please go on a mission trip. You will meet Christians in another part of the world who don't have a tenth, don't have a hundredth many times of what most of us have. And what will shock you, what will shock you, all the way to your socks will be how happy they are. If there's anybody here who's been on a mission trip and been shocked by that, would you raise your hand? Okay, if you saw a hand go up, go talk to those people. They'll tell you. You'll meet people that have nothing. Christians who are living with nothing, and they are so happy. I remember when uh, my wife and I uh, visited China about 10 years ago. We got to talk to some Christians there. And you know what they prayed for? They prayed for the Christians in America all the time because they said we were bound up in things and we were missing out on the joy of life. Chinese Christians praying for us. That was humbling and true. How much is enough? Well, you and I are going to have to determine that. That's going to have to be one of those things. I mean, short term, long term, how much is enough? That's important to set in goals. Another one is how much will we save? How much will we save? Proverbs 6, this is just wisdom from Solomon himself. Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise. They have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work. They labor hard all summer, gathering food for the winter. But you, lazy bones, how long will you sleep? When will you wake up? A little extra sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. I mean, one of our financial goals needs to be, hey, we need to have an emergency fund. I mean, what if the car, what if the car gives out? What if the refrigerator goes out? And we don't have anything in reserve. We've saved nothing. We're just living hand to mouth, barely making the payments. 
Bible says that's not wise. Even the ants don't live that way. They store up during the summer because they know in the winter they won't have anything to eat. They'll starve to death. Well, it doesn't mean we need to hoard massive tons of wealth, but we do need to prepare for a rainy day. Better have some something saved for retirement. Well, how's that going to happen if you don't sit, make that a goal? And as a married couple, we've got to talk about when will we save and how much will we save? And when are we going to start if we haven't started already? We need to talk about that stuff. Thirdly, how much will we give? How much is enough? How much will we save? How much will we give? You must each decide in your heart. This is Paul writing to the Corinthians. You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need, and then you'll always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. But look, I mean, if you and I are going to say, hey, I want to have something to give to the church. I want to have something to give to missions. I want to have something to uh, contribute to poor folks. I, there are people I know that are involved in great work. I want to have something to give to them. Well, then make that a goal and discuss it. The hardest thing, and it's a terrible thing when people are fighting over this in their marriage because one person won't ever even give anything. And say, well, we don't need to be generous. And it's like, that's not true. Psalm 37, 21 reminds us the wicked borrow and never repay, but the godly are generous givers. If we want to be like God, God's generous. And Paul says God loves a cheerful giver. And the Bible does say it's more blessed to give than to receive. And you and I, when we start discovering that, it's like, oh, that's a good thing. Now, here's an important note. God will help us with our finances if we put him first. Proverbs 3, honor the Lord with your wealth and the best part of everything you produce, and then he'll fill your barns with grain. Your vats will overflow with good wine. Am I telling you that if you write a check to Centerpoint today, you'll never have another financial worry? Or No, I'm telling you that as we plan for this, when you and I put God first and we make him a primary concern of ours, then he'll help us order our priorities. And he will bless us. He'll guide us. It's that way in everything in life. When we put God first in our conversations, then all of a sudden we change the way we talk. We put him first in our finances, we change the way we spend and the way we save. We put him first in our careers, it changes what are we going for? What position do we want? And this is just something that the Lord wants us to trust him in. And that needs to be part of our financial planning. And that brings us to step three on your outline, or point three. This is the third thing I tell people all the time. We must establish a budget. Now, a budget is just a plan. And on the flip side of this sheet of the, budget, of the financial goals is a budget worksheet. If you flip it over, this is the simplest budget worksheet that I know of. If there's a married couple, it has the sources of income at the top, you got the husband's income, the wife's income, and then you got un, uh, other income, you know, maybe from an inheritance or an investment or whatever's being paid. Well, that's your total income. So you have income in one box here. Next to that are the expenses. And you can see them lined out for you there. Um, housing, debt, transportation, food, health care, insurance, personal care, charity, and tithe. Okay, and you put all these things in, well, again, you put in there, you talk about your goals, what do you want? Well, that'll help you know what you want to spend on this side. The budget side is just a plan to help you carry out the goals. 
And so then we say, these are our expenses. This is the plus, this is the minus. There's one third box here, and this is our, at the end of the month, this is our end of the month balance. This is the bottom line. That's why it's at the bottom. Okay, it's the bottom line. If this is plus, that's a good thing. If this is minus, this is a bad thing. I'll draw a sad face there. This is bad. Will you ever have months where the balance is negative? Sure, we all will. We'll have things happen. But you better have more months in the plus than there are in the minus. And if I'm making a plan, I'm always going to get this thing to where I want the positive plus every month if I can. And I just want to read you a couple more statistics here. This gets extremely serious when we talk about this uh, as far as budgeting. Let me just show you. Here are a couple things you need to know. Um, on this one, this is from uh, uh, a website where it's called progressiverelief.com. Um, over 40% of American families annually spend more than they earn. Like at the end of the year, their whole balance is negative for the year. The average balance per credit card holding per household is $15,611. $15, at the end of the year, they're $15,000 in the red on their credit cards. The average American family. The average not some, average, is 15,000 in the red at the end of the year. That means they're negative 15,000. 25% of Americans have zero or negative net worth. U.S. consumers will still will, uh, pay, uh, in 2011, U.S. consumers paid $29.5 billion in overdraft fees. In overdraft fees. You want to get in fights? Why are we talking about this with relation to marriage? And I told you before, I mean, the majority of people who fight about this fight because of unplanned expenses, insufficient savings, nothing in an emergency fund, living hand to mouth. And a budget is simply a plan to help us deal with this. And again, that's why we put this in every bulletin. If you're married and you have never sat down and talked about your financial goals, do it today. If you're married and you've never made a list of your ex monthly expenses and your monthly income and see once where you are on an average month, do it now. And if it's negative, well, you can call us and get help. We have, you can come to centeringlives.com and we'll help you. We'll connect you to resources. We'll help you. But we've got to do this, folks. If we're going to have peace in our marriage, in our marriages, I mean, we can talk about I love you all you want, and we can bring flowers, but if we don't have any money to pay for the flowers, well, it's hard to get them when they won't sell them to you, and your credit's no good. You're going to have to go pick a weed. Okay, if I'm going to do this, let's do this, and let's do it God's way. And so we have to make a budget, and it's important, important to note, a budget is just a plan. Under point three, the note is a budget is just a plan. It's just a plan. All this is is a plan. Hey, and then we say, we not only know how much we're spending, but then we make adjustments and say, hey, we need our income to be greater than our outgo. So this is positive. And we're going to adjust this. It's just a plan. Let's spend less on clothing this month. Let's spend less on uh, some things. Maybe we need to get rid of cable. Maybe we need to make some other adjustments. Maybe we need to trim our vacation plans. 
Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity. This is Proverbs 21.5. Hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. It's not a good plan to go and say, let's buy $10,000 worth of lottery tickets in Georgia. That'll help. That'll take our odds from being struck by lightning seven times in a row to six times in a row. And then we'll be wealthy. That's a bad plan. Hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Give these instructions to the church so that no one will be open to criticism. Paul was writing Timothy here again. And he was telling him this because there were people that Timothy was ministering to. They were, they were just saying, well, I'm a Christian, so I don't have to work. Jesus is coming back one day, and if we're going to die anyway and we can't take it with us, then why do I even need to work? And Paul was writing Timothy, well, that's not what we were saying at all. If people don't work, then they don't need to eat. Instead, give these instructions to the church so that no one will be open to criticism. Those who don't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. God has given us a responsibility. It's all his, and he's given us a responsibility to manage things. A budget is a plan for managing. And if we say, well, we don't use a budget, well, then we don't have a plan. And if I'm going to stand before God one day, and he said, did you make the most of the resources you had? Yeah. Well, how'd you do that? Well, I thought the best way was to wing it for 80 years. <laughs> really? That's the best you could do was wing it. Caused a lot of fights, didn't it? Woo, humdingers. Well, what have we planned? A budget's just a plan. Well, what are we planning to reach? Our goals. Well, what, how do we start? We pray first and say, God, help us do this. We'll put you first in our finances. That's why we even put giving at the top of this thing. Don't leave that off. God will help us. He will. If we give cheerfully. Give something and say, God, we're going to put you first. He'll order all the rest of your priorities. A fourth thing I tell people all the time is we, need, we must avoid and get out of debt. Avoid and get out of debt. I read these statistics a little bit ago. I mean, man, we have credit card debt. You know, this average balance is over 15000 It gets much worse than that. People can have multiple credit cards. They might have 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, I kid you not, 70, 80, 90, I kid you not, $100,000 in credit card debt. Credit card debt. Sofas, pizza, vacations, stuff that you can't ever get back. You could, there's no way you, you can't recover it. Even if you tried to sell it, there's nothing there. Well, how do we... We've got to stay away from debt whenever possible and get out of it as soon as possible. Does it mean you never have a house note? No, I mean, that's not realistic for most of us. But do you have to have a house note, a car note, credit card debt, student loans, all this stuff? You can see how people will have stuff. Well, if they have all this stacked up, by the end of the month, by the time they pay all their creditors, they have like $11 to live on. When I first started ministry uh, uh, to high school students in Houston, we were in... Uh, the wealthiest zip code in America, in Houston. It made the cover of Time Magazine, or Life Magazine. They're the cheerleaders from a high school where I was doing ministry. And they said, the kids grown up in the wealthiest zip code in America. I was doing ministry there. And we would take kids on trips, like weekend trips, like youth group type of trips. And there'd be a $20 deposit. And some of these people would be living in half million dollar and million dollar houses. And this is in 1985, 1986. Okay? These enormous houses and things, and they would write a deposit for their kid to go on a trip, a $20 check, and the check would bounce. You'd go to their house, and it's gorgeous. There's no furniture upstairs. They've lived there four years. They can't afford it. 
House rich, money poor. Living to keep up with everybody else. And if anybody ever knew, they are one step away from foreclosure every month. And the stress is unbelievable. And the fights are catastrophic. The rich rule over the poor. The borrower is a servant to the lender. Especially if you all this stuff stacked up. It's like you're in chains. You can't do anything. Owe nothing to anyone, Romans 13, 8, except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you'll fulfill the requirements of God's law. Again, does it mean you never take a house note? No, but if you're going to do that, well, what else are you borrowing? And if we, we can't believe that siren song of it's only $35 a month, it's only $200 a month. Those little monthly things add up to yearly huge costs. If we can't afford it, we can't afford it. And then we're not free to give. And we're not free to support missions. And we're not free to go after that master's degree. Even though we say God wants us to do it, we have no money to do it. But man, we have a nice couch. Can I come over and sit on it? No, we can't afford to feed you if you come. fifth thing that I remind couples of all the time is we must review our finances together regularly. This is not something you do once when you get married. Well, we did the premarital thing. We said this 28 years ago. We're fine. Financial goals have to be reviewed. Best ideal is monthly. Bounce checkbook monthly. Talk about your budget monthly. Review it. Hey, how are things going? Was this realistic? Did we put enough in this category? This is just a plan. It's just an estimate. Change it if it doesn't work. Keep working it. This has to be done Regularly. Um, know the state of your flocks. Proverbs 27. Flocks, put your heart into caring for your herds. I would take that as the Old Testament investment portfolio. You know, they didn't have IBM and staples or whatever. They had flocks and herds. Okay? Know the state of your flocks. Put your heart into caring for your herds. For riches don't last forever, and the crown might not be passed to the next generation. We need to be careful. We need to be careful with things. How are things going? When are we going to review the budget? When are we going to talk about these things? Because waiting till it's a crisis, hey, I didn't want to talk about it. Well, why didn't you want to talk about it? Well, you're just going to get upset because it's not going right. Good, because I'll be less upset if we let it go six months. Hmm. And then there's a note here, it's necessary to have additional financial conversations when going through a change, a major change. If you and I are going through a major change, a kid's graduating from high school, somebody's getting married. I mean, we had a son get married. Do you know that marriages cost money? I just want to warn you in advance, okay? Even for the parents of the groom, it's not cheap. Have you put aside some money for things like this? When we're going through a change, we need to say, hey, is this, where are we now? We moved. We got a new house. Went through an illness. Went through a loss in the family. And finally, the sixth thing that I remind people of all the time is this. Husbands and wives need to be a unified team. This is really just going back where we started. This is why this is so important. A couple of bullet points. Um, Ephesians 5.31. Um, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Paul in Ephesians 5 is quoting Genesis chapter 2. Jesus quoted that same verse, too, when he talked about marriage. 
Married couples should combine their finances whenever possible. Two-thirds of married couples have a joint checking account. There's a reason for that. In the margin somewhere, just put an X between my money and your money. Don't get into that. I mean, those are the worst fights. This is my money, that's your money. Now we're together and everything else except our money. I mean, you imagine doing that with a front lawn? This is my half of the lawn. This is your half of the lawn. My half looks a lot better than your half. You ought to mow your half. I'm turning off the mower right here. I want God first in our marriage, at least on my money. I don't know what you're doing with your money. I want God first in our living room, but not in the den. I mean, who does that? But yet people do this all the time. And man, you, you talk about setting ourselves up for fights. This is our money now. And again, some of you explained to me, some of your CPAs and stuff about the importance of having multiple diversified accounts and all this stuff. I understand. But then put both names on the accounts. Well, wait a minute. Then it's not my money anymore. Well, that was the idea of getting married. Secrets always destroy trust. There's another big killer. Financial secrets. <whistles> yeah, I didn't tell you about that account that I have. I didn't tell you about that credit card. Married couples should have set spending limits, which cannot be exceeded without joint consent. What's it going to be? $100? A $200 purchase? Whatever you're comfortable with. I'm not going to spend over this. I don't care if it's a good deal. But I had to buy it. It was 50% off. And if you think about it, I really saved us $250. We didn't have any of it to begin with. Oh, should have talked about that. Yeah. Married couples should be able to describe themselves as team. Put your last name here. My wife and I describe ourselves as Team Schmidt. Team Schmidt, we should have a poster. Team Schmidt, you know, like this, back to back with my wife. Us versus the problem. Team Schmidt has joint financial goals. She has goals, I have goals, then we harmonize them. Team Schmidt has a joint budget. If she has income and I have income, this is our combined income. She has expenses, I have expenses, these are our combined expenses. These are our, this is what we're saving each month to reach these goals. Team Schmidt. I say all this as a pastor. I hope you hear my concern. I want you to hear there's hope, though. Let me finish with this. There's hope. And I want you to hear it not just from me. Jacob Pratt, uh, one of the uh, folks who attended, Jacob and his wife went through Financial Peace University this last year because uh, they felt like their finances were putting a big strain on their marriage. He sat down in front of a camera this week, and he told us a little bit about what the Lord did in his life. My name's Jacob Pratt. I've been going to Centerpoint Fellowship for about four years now. About two years ago, me and my wife were going our separate ways, struggling in debt. We each were spending money. We didn't talk to one another. We just did our own thing. We thought about money and realized that we wanted something better. We were tired of living paycheck to paycheck, tired of working all the overtime just in order to make it. We sought some online help, we bought some financial books, read them, and they just didn't seem to really do anything for us. 
Um, that's when we learned about Center Point's Financial Peace University. We attended it, um, and we actually learned a lot in the class. It taught us how to work together, how to manage our money, how to budget. Um, through that, we were able to pay off a mound of debt. We're actually able to live now. Instead of paycheck to paycheck, we can actually go out and enjoy life and do things together as a family. Um, we were actually able to, over the Christmas holidays, we found some families in need that we were able to give to that we never would have been able to do before. And it's all by God's grace and through this class that we learned to do all of this. Um, so my biggest thing is if any of y'all are in debt, seek help. Seek this class. It's made all the difference in the world to us, and I know it will to you, too. Nobody ever applauds after one of those. It gives the world even thought. Can we applaud that? Can we applaud that? Yeah. <laughs> Finances can change. There's hope when we put God first. There's help. We'll help you. But we got to surrender our finances to God, and we got to say, God, we got to quit playing around with this. Guys, this is tearing our marriages apart. I want you to have hope. There is hope. Let's not give in to despair. Let's not just run off the rails. Let's do things God's way. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you for today. And Lord, I always run out of time on this subject. There's so much to be said. So Father, we just, uh, I just want us to surrender our finances to you, Lord. In a moment of prayer right now, just one thing that we'll pray for today. If you would like God's blessing on your life, when it comes to your finances, resources, real estate, whatever, retirement plan, would you say, God, I want your blessing, so I want to do things your way. Oh, God, I pray that's the desire of our heart. I pray that we will talk about things. If we're married, Lord, I pray that we will talk about things. If we're engaged, I pray that we'll talk about things and we'll surrender this together to you. Please, Lord, we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.